So the data lake house in this case enables you that entire archiving of everything that is there. You can go to back information stuff. So when this structure has come into play in the pharma environment, where whether you're dealing with multi-omics data, public uh, you know reference data or clinical information or any of these information coming from connected devices you collect all of this data you can integrate all of this information do the analytics then you can do the visualization and share the data among global my name is kashif and this is bio radio a group of biologists turned bioinformaticians bring you into the world of research and development informatics by interviewing the people responsible for implementing systems and technologies to a unique and diverse set of use cases. Precision medicine is not a novel approach, but has emerged as a priority in healthcare delivery as of lately. Precision medicine can be defined as a pathway or methodology that employs numerous technologies, such as genetic, biomarker, and phenotypic characteristics to guide individually tailored diagnostics and treatments for patients. From a technology perspective, where are we what was holding us back, and how will these technologies evolve in the future to support our needs? To talk about this, today we're here with Kumar Bala. Could you please introduce yourself? Thank you, Kashif. I'm Kumar Bala. My most uh, recent role was at Oracle Health, where I focused on the digital transformation from data to insight relating to multi-omics and how that applies to drug discovery as well as to the next generation health kit. Prior to that, I spent about 30 years in the biotech life science sector, where I have my background in clinical immunology, followed by nine years in R&D in plant biotech. I have very good uh, insights into both genomics, proteomics, and other multiomics. And I've been able to combine all of that in terms of digital transformation based on my most recent experience. And I'll be sharing my experience in that particular context. Let, let's take a step back. How do you define precision medicine? How is precision medicine different from personalized medicine? Um, and and how, how has that evolved over the years? It's a good point that you bring up, Kashif, because there's always a little bit of a clarification between personalized and precision medicine. Whereas personalized medicine focuses on adjusting the treatment to an individual based on differences in age, the decision-making process, availability of resources, the level of mobility of an individual, and so on, characteristics. Whereas when we get into the area of precision medicine, they will take into consideration the phenotypic as well as the genotypic variations in order to develop a treatment or a prevention approach that can be tailored to the individual or the cohort of population. So that is where precision medicine comes into play to making a difference at the individual level based on the genetic and the you know phenotypic characteristics of an individual. But from a scientific technology standpoint, what has changed in terms of genomics? I know your background is in proteomics, biomarker data, phenotypic data, the accessibility of health outcomes data in terms of extracting data from EHR, EMR systems. How has that evolved from a technology standpoint from, let's say, 10 years ago? One of the things that we need to take into consideration is the trends and the evolution of next generation healthcare in this context. So for that, I would like to highlight this aspect of what has accelerated this entire aspect of precision medicine. Key factors for that are the evolution in technology such as molecular diagnostics right. that takes into consideration of gene sequencing, you know, 
digital PCR and other proteomics, multi-omics technologies, along with these omics technologies, one is the technological advancements. Second is the driving down of the cost for doing those clinical assays, which is the translational aspect, correct? From sure. research into the clinical aspects, you have a driving down of the concept, of the costs. Because of it, these tests becoming you know, more affordable and easy to use, and the turnaround time for these tests, you get more acceptance of these into the clinical setting. Sure. Now, with these things, you have the development of all the uh, genomics data or the omics data that's coming into play, which in turn gets incorporated with the electronic health records of a patient nowadays. So, so creating a, a more comprehensive picture. More comprehensive at picture. Genomic, of proteomic, perhaps metabolomic, the expression data, not just the, the, the genome. Not the just genome data itself. It's what I call it as the panomics or the multiomics aspect of that I think. Perfect. Along with that, nowadays what's also happening is data coming from population sequencing programs that is happening. This is the genome-wide sequencing that's happening. So that data is also incorporated with this. And we might have seen a very positive impact of that during the most recent pandemic with the COVID-19. The other thing also, trend that has to be taken into consideration in this thing, is the convergence of technologies or between the industries. One is we have the life science biotech industry. So it's a convergence of these two sectors coming together to offer that synergistic value of bringing those technologies to the forefront and diagnosis. Right. The outcome from all of this is big data, the analytics, and the bioinformatics that's coming from these things. When these things come in, they have taken into consideration to make the decisions for the clinician, which is what we call the decision support systems. One factor that we need to take into consideration of this, because we're dealing with patient records and patient health information, is the data security as well as the data privacy, individual's data privacy, as well as how that is managed so that we don't get ransomware attacks or loss of data and stuff. So we'll come back to the security in just a bit, but you know, I'll just uh, summarize two, two points, right? So one is that the technology itself has been evolving, right? Mm -hmm. You mentioned the, uh, the cost per sequencing run, for instance, is driving down. It's becoming more commoditized. Mm -hmm. The ease of use is certainly there and sample to sample preparation methods uh, all the way down to the analysis is just becoming a lot easier, right? Yeah. Uh, over over time, it's certainly matured. What are your thoughts on the granularity of data, right? And and specifically looking towards the sequencing side, we're we're seeing this evolution or transition between exclusively bulk sequencing to more single cell. What are what are the trends there? What are you seeing in terms of incorporation of single cell data uh, as opposed to just sort of bulk? sequencing? So one of the things we take into consideration from all of these things is the multiomics analysis. Correct? Sure. You have the genomics data, you have the proteomics, metabolomics, imaging data. Now that is falling to the level of a single cell aspect. And the key thing for that is the advancements in technology that has happened towards single cell analysis, even in the right. tumor markers. Sure. So once we get this data, this data overall it could be in the simple level or the complex level from an individual aspect of it. The data needs to flow and it needs to be managed. That's why we're looking into the data to insight aspect of this thing. Sure. So you need to have an environment which is the cloud computing environment that's very critical. Right. Let, let's let's get back to that in just a bit. 
Um, so we talked about the technology from like a scientific instrumentation standpoint, the analysis, the maturity of that. Uh, let's let's talk about the technology from like an IT perspective, right? So you're you're starting to mention cloud, um, or you just mentioned cloud computing and cloud storage. But what did the infrastructure look like at a biopharma or someone that was pushing towards uh, personalized medicine or, or precision medicine 10 years ago? And how, how has that changed? What were the rate limiting steps in terms of processing or managing or even storing the data 10 years ago? 10 years ago, when you look at it, a lot of these things were done on an on-premise basis. And the main for that was the compute power of the systems that they use and the volumes of data that was being generated. They didn't have the compute power to that extent and to process the big data that was coming from that. And the other thing was the concerns that all these companies had pertain to data privacy and security. So sure. they want to hold on to those things. And that is why everything was done from an on-premise perspective. Right. Later on, as the aspect of cloud in, you know, evolved and the cloud technologies comes into play, the cloud technologies were always designed in, in regards to security and data protection, but also offering the elasticity uh, and the cost efficiencies related to that aspect of it and the network capabilities of the data transmission. So now, for example, let's take into consideration a pharma company that's doing a drug discovery. It is not only happening at one site, it's happening around, say, six or seven different sites. Globally. Globally, sure. and with different clinical trials and clinical centers. Now they're working with CROs and CMOs and CDMOs. And when that's happening, that data needs to be shared in a, through a central repository and stuff. Right, and of, oftentimes they have academic collaborators and external collaborators, external biotechs, et cetera. Yeah, right. and when that is happening, to have an environment like a cloud environment that is secure and made that leap from that traditional methods to this, even though those pharma companies and other companies that were involved in them were concerned about security and data privacy, the cloud has evolved to a state of having providing all the security, data protection and stuff. So with that into consideration, there's an increased adoption of the cloud environment. That is one aspect of it. Right. The second aspect of that is the high performance computing to process all of that data that's coming in with the bare metal cloud, you know, uh, using uh, GPUs and CPUs, because you're not only looking at that omics data from the molecular level, you're also taking into consideration imaging data that's coming from tissue images and so on. When that comes in, now you need to have a high performance computing environment to do all those things. And that is easily available right now. So if you take these two things into consideration, one is a cloud, second is a high-performance computing environment. Correct? Right. And the next thing which people have to take into consideration are the data that's coming from the patient is one aspect of it, and the data coming from the machines and the technologies is the other aspect of it. Those two have to be taken into consideration in terms of how that is used for the outcomes that are being derived. From a patient standpoint, that's the PHI or the patient health information, all aspects of that that's right. anonymized and used. From the machine aspects of it, that can also be used by the companies to look at the performance and the outcomes that they're deriving. All those things working very efficiently. Now, if you take those aspects of those things, where you have to have a digital connectivity, the internet of things, connected devices, and so on. The next aspect of this, when all the data comes in, you need to 
derive an intelligence from that. That sure. is the insight that someone is deriving from that. So for that, you have all kinds of analytics wherein capabilities such as AI, ML, deep learning, and other analytics of big data are being utilized to derive specific insights that can be used for a meaningful outcome from a patient perspective related to precision medicine, from a GVAS studies, and so on. Right. So that's a critical aspect of it. And this is what we call as the data to insight the entire workflow. So taking a step back, right, we, we, we look at this um, data lifecycle, right, from capturing the data. Uh, you mentioned IoT, but from from a sensor standpoint or taking data off an instrument and capturing it, you mentioned genomic, proteomic, metabolomic, image data, cell data, uh, EHR data. How, how has the capturing of data, the ingest of data changed? How has it evolved from where we were 10 years ago to today? How, how is that how has that matured? I mean, you talked about it from a technology standpoint on on the infrastructure side, but are there other facets of that uh, that have improved over the years, making making data more accessible, or or at least the availability of data, uh, or excuse me, or at least increase the availability of data. So one of the things I can bring into concept, we just wrote a paper on this. We call it as a digital patient. This has evolved more so during the COVID and post COVID. That was because Previously, if you either did a clinical trial or a medical treatment, a patient can go to the hospital and that is where every aspect of that patient is monitored. Sure. But during the COVID times, that access was very limited to the patient perspective. So what happened is this in turn gave the, the value for doing a remote patient monitoring increased drastically during this period. So what one of the studies that showed is that for every patient during this process, they could have 10 to 15 connected devices that's monitoring many of the vitals for these patients. And each of those patients could be generating 10 to 15 million points of data under that context. Sure. All of the data is captured. There's a digital interconnectivity and there's an interoperability because different machines come with different formats and stuff you need to have. So standards are set up in the systems. So all of the data is captured and then you have to make the analytics from that aspect of it. Right. That is where, where we highlight the aspect of a digital patient in this case, remote monitoring of those things, which right. is gaining more and more importance now. And that has evolved so drastically post-COVID. Get it. So in the context of personalized medicine or precision medicine, a it's the sensors, the availability of sensors. I mean, pretty much everyone has their Apple Watch or their smartwatch, which are detecting a lot of, capturing a lot of healthcare data, right? Like your heart rate, your blood pressure, mm -hmm. potentially. It's, uh, I think they have temperature sensors now. They also track your, your activity, right? In terms of exercise, walking, whatever. Um, it all, you, you also mentioned the interoperability of data uh, with, and, and you slightly mentioned or briefly mentioned the standardization uh, or, or creation of standards. Uh, and then the other conversation that we talked about was just the scalability of data. That you, you mentioned the word elasticity, which I'm, I'm assuming is, is the, uh, the scalability of cloud compute and, and performance. But uh, out, outside of sensors and the interoperability of data uh, and the technology itself, 
you know, the, the technology IT infrastructure, what, what has changed from just a data acquisition standpoint? From the data acquisition point is if for a single patient, correct? You have multiple instruments that are used and they'll come from different vendors and the software that they use, they could have different formats and stuff. That sure. is where you need to have the standardization, which is called the HL7 or the interoperability. Right. There's the IHE, you know, those criteria have been established by the government as to what the data is. What the data stream the format data st needs to be. Format okay. needs to be. And when that format comes in and you capture all the data, you put it into reports and then you manage aspect. So sure. let me give you one example pertaining to that from the work that we had done. So this happened during the pandemic times. So what had happened there was uh, we set up a system, it's called the SP3 system, in which millions of these samples, the COVID-19 samples, patient samples were collected. They were sequenced either on the Oxford instrument or the Illumina instrument. All of that data was loaded into a client server environment in which the data was anonymized and that the metadata of that was in turn uploaded into a cloud environment. So you have the raw data pertaining to the sequence data as well as the minimal metadata that's in there. All of that were put together and using either the autonomous databases as well as the warehouse systems. All this, you, you were able to do all the consists of genome assembly, the analysis and finding the final variants of that. All of that was collected and then they used the analytics cloud. And we were using that, you were able to create dashboards from which you were able to identify specific variants located to specific uh, you know, locality within, you know, let's say for the government of Chile in this case. And that was in turn provided to the public health officials. They were able to use all those insights to make specific critical decisions in order to say track the population, how to you know offer treatment, what are the conditions they need to do that. So that is where you can see that the data that's coming from that, there's so much of data from so many number, millions of people in this case, because right. now you're doing this at the country level. Sure. So the technology such as cloud computing or high performance computing, the standards that were set up as well as the handling of that data made a lot of sense Sure. in this case. Sure. That's no, just that one sense. example of that. So you're actually hitting on my second point, which is around the data management, right? So there, there's definitely been an explosion of the variety and velocity of data. You know, we talked about the complexity of data management in terms of capturing it. How do you deal with that enormous of a data set? And then you're combining it with other metadata. I'm assuming you're also tracing that back to other, you know, personal uh, health information. How do you deal with the complexity? And can you give us a sense, you know, on, on the on the uh, project that you previously mentioned, can you give us a sense of the scale? You know, are we talking gigabytes, terabytes, right? Like what, what kind of scale are we talking about in terms of that full corpus of data? So this is basically when you're talking to millions of samples and that happens at the country level and a global scale, you're liking about terabytes to zettabytes of data that's coming and depending on the population levels, correct? Because sure. you're doing this at the country level. So you need to have a high performance computing environment for this thing. There is also a lot of global data sharing that happens between country levels to the centralized location. So we need to ensure that this whole thing is done in what we call as a secure environment for that sure. thing. The platform that was put in is called a scalable pathogen uh, pipeline platform, which we call it as an SP3 platform. So 
And people that were collecting this data, they had ownership to this and they were given the autonomy to use that particular data. So the other aspect of this from the managing this cloud itself, one is the, the ability to manage this data across multiple regions through domains and the elasticity of the cloud environment as the data inserts can do that. For that right? The second aspect of this is the high performance uh, with the high core, the compute instances, the rate of transmission, you know, at a very high rate, correct? So you're looking about 100 gigabytes per second for the networking speed and the remote data memory access systems, the RDMA capacities for that. And the last thing is the ability to scale it or the auto-scaling ability to that, depending on as the number of patients increase. And so that is where the systems are all available now that has changed, and this makes a big difference. Are there other aspects of the technology? I mean, you mentioned a few in terms of the, the, uh, the, the scalability and um, elasticity of, of the databases and, and the, the memory side of that. Are there other aspects of the technology that have changed uh, outside of the pipe, and, you know, the bandwidth and, and the, the scalability and, and elasticity around memory and, and storage? Yeah, because one of the, the three things that I can mention, correct? One is the compute hardware. I'll talk about three. One is the compute hardware. Second is the storage aspects of it. And the last aspect is the network for the transmission sure. okay. point of view, okay? So when you look at the computer hardware, correct? So a lot of these uh, HPC workloads that are done on next generation hardware. The second thing is when you're talking about the storage aspects of it, when you're talking about data, we talked about this, is you can get up to like, 6.4 terabytes of data on this bare metal instances. The last thing, the scale of more than 20,000 cores that can be used in a single RDMA center. So these are the kinds of advancements that has happened that is enabling all these things to happen in the cloud environment in a secure manner in a very high performance. In terms of the data management, right, we, we talked about the hardware, we talked about the bandwidth, we talked about, you know, the, uh, kind of the infrastructure. One one aspect that we didn't really dive into was the architecture, right? The mentality or sort of the um, the approach to data management has certainly evolved, right? Going back, I don't know, 20 years ago, it was all about databases. And then we transitioned into more of a data warehouse. Now we're looking at data lakes and lake houses mm -hmm. even, right? C could, you, could you talk about how the mindset or the approach to the architecture of data, capturing the data, storing the data, and sharing the data uh, changed over over the years? Yeah, so in this particular context, uh, let me take the case in a pharma setting, right? So just to go back, taking a step back between databases to warehouses to lake houses per se, correct? In one case, database, you store everything in the table format. Sure. So now- Very structured. Structured. <laughs> Correct. Now, when you move to the data warehouses from the same data, the tables and using SQL queries and stuff, right. you can do some analysis and you can do reporting in that context. Now, when you move to the data lake house part of it, it's not only those tables and other basic information that you have, now you have image, you have unstructured language that is there in this case. Right. So the data where a lake house in this case enables you that entire archiving of everything that is there. You can go to back information stuff. So when this structure has come into play in the pharma environment, where whether you're dealing with multi-omics data 
public uh, you know reference data or clinical information or any of these information coming from connected devices you collect all of this data you can integrate all of this information do the analytics then you can do the visualization and share the data among global so that is because of this evolution of all of this thing from the data storage we talked about the cloud environment we talked about the high performance computing environment from the architecture then you have this entire aspect of the data integration correct coming from different sources and sure. deriving it and then comes this aspect of having data warehouse or even autonomous databases. Oracle has this thing called the autonomous you know, databases where it's self-replicating, self-repairing. You don't need to have an administrator to manage that thing. That provides that efficiency. So that has moved a notch up in that case of managing the databases. Now when you come that and you, you are able to do uh, create dashboards of reporting systems that you have right now so that that in turn flows into this entire aspect of the clinical decision support system when you get a clinician what they want is a readable format of that final data when they talk sure. to a patient they can give them a meaningful insight to that aspect one of the things that's very critical in this aspect is the ability to have a knowledge base is very very critical right so if you can have a knowledge base, this knowledge base will contain information coming from published sources, you know, clinical trials, government websites, um, uh, as well as any other information that's coming from EHR, as well as from the omics stuff. All of these are put into this knowledge base. So there are knowledge bases that you have, 50 million findings and so on, and the knowledge bases are constantly being updated. So you can refer to this knowledge base and have a very significant. So when you have something such as the clinical data systems, for the clinician, when they look at those reports, a lot of the updates are done in real time. So if a publication had come about last month about a clinical trial, and that was published pertaining to a particular drug, so they can see that information in real time. Right. That is where that makes a big difference from the reporting side of the aspect of the clinical decision support systems. Sure, so you mentioned uh, obviously, we've we've talked about the the variety of data, uh, multi omic or pan omic as you described it. Um, how do you then incorporate public data? You know, there there are tons of repositories that are available in the in the public domain, as well as things that databases or or, or data kind of generalized from collaborators, right? How do you start integrating these multiple sources at the data scale level? So at that, that's where when you have something like a data lake house comes into play at multiple levels, you collect all of this. You, well, public information is okay, you can capture that. But then when you have private information, how do you store that information along with it? Because you need to get consent from the patients to use that particular inf information as opt-in or opt-out. Right. But a lot of times that is possible because I've had friends that have had breast cancer, they've donated their samples for analysis. For public domain. For public do or even when it's provided to the clinic, they have an option to opt in or opt out about the information. It, the data is the information about the patient is anonymized. It's private. Sure. Private, correct. But the information pertaining to the sample, all the analysis that is done, if you opt in, that information is collected by whoever is doing the diagnostic analysis. Right. Now that information could also be used in some cases, if it's not public, people go and buy it from those knowledge-based sources to access that thing. So it's more of a paid 
you know, service in that case to access those knowledge bases. But those knowledge bases are available and they can be available based on cellular level or a tissue level or a disease-based level that someone can access. And at some point, it's integrating all of this. You're incorporating the clinical information that's coming through. You're incorporating the panomics data in this case. Then there could also be the healthcare provider, insurance information, there's virtual care cloud information, device data, then there's a pharmacogenomics, companion diagnostics. So this sure. gets complicated. Right. So more and more emphasis being placed on this kind of an integration of all of this data to provide a true meaningful insight for the patient. Right. right. So at the end of the day for the patient is, what is the outcome for me uh, from all this analysis that was done, what is the best drug or a treatment I need to take in this case? I, I know you don't have a crystal ball in front of you, but you've been in this industry for, for a number of years. Based on, you know, reverse Moore's law, uh, we've all seen that. Uh, where do you see precision medicine going in the future? What, what do you think is going to happen from either a technology standpoint or from like a treatment or diagnostic standpoint, like where, where do you see this going five years out? I think uh, the thing is, two things that's making this, you know, like you talked about the Moore's luck, right? One is the advancements in technology, other is the driving down of costs. Right. The more and more that happens, more and more these tests will be incorporated in your everyday in aspects in uh, decision support systems in the clinic, correct? So when I'm talking about diagnostics, it could be in the pre as well as post diagnostics. Sure. This, these kinds of technologies will be applied towards companion diagnostics where I'm giving a drug to a patient, I can follow the efficacy of that drug. How well is the patient responding to a particular drug? Correct. And so that is going to have a big difference. So the accessibility, general availability. Of- accessibility is a big thing. The general availability as the costs come down. And then there's the other whole thing pertaining to the federal approvals and the reimbursements from CMS and other things. More and more of these things are being accepted nowadays. Thank you for listening to BioRadio. I'd like to thank our guest, Kumar, for being here today, talking about digital precision medicine. I'd also like to thank our listeners, To join the conversation, please visit our blog, biorad.io, and don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you. This podcast is an original creation of Biorad Laboratories. Biorad is a trademark of Biorad Laboratories Incorporated in certain jurisdictions. All trademarks mentioned herein are the property of their respective owner.